Good morning. Welcome to Bethany Lutheran in Warren, Oregon. Today we are in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, 100 jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, 100 containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hollywood movies often glorify the bad guy. You know, the movies where the star of the movie is the bad guy, but he's so lovable that the audience ends up pulling for him. I can think of a couple of those lovable bad guy movies, both of which happen to star Paul Newman and Robert Redford. The first is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Newman and Redford portray the two Western outlaws in such a lighthearted way that we end up rooting for them as they're robbing banks and trains. We find ourselves hoping they can outrun the law. And we left the theater silently after the two bandits are killed at the end of the movie. The second movie is The Sting. Like the previous movie, the music is lighthearted and fun and the audience cheered when the two con men successfully fleece the wealthy bad guy. 
Today's gospel text appears to put us in the same uncomfortable spot. Why does Jesus praise a dishonest manager? Why does Jesus tell us we should emulate a man who clearly stole property not belonging to him? What we have today is a rich man who hears that his manager is wasting his master's money. He accuses his manager and asks him to give an account of his management. In other words, I want to examine the account books. The manager is desperate. He knows he'll be found out and dismissed. He has no family or friends to count on. He cannot do manual labor and is not about to be seen begging on the street corner. So he hatches a plan to scam his way into the good graces of his master's debtors. The manager summons one debtor after another to negotiate reduced settlements. One says he owes 100 jugs of olive oil. The manager reduces the debt to 50 jugs. Another client says he owes 100 containers of wheat. The shrewd manager tells him to change the account to 80 containers. Now, mind you, the manager did not have the authority to do this. Now, if you think this parable is confusing, I should tell you that the theologians cannot agree on the meaning either. So I'm going to share some of the more logical interpretations. First, as New Testament scholar William Herzog pointed out, wealthy landlords in Jesus' day created ways to charge hidden interest often by rolling it into the principle, thereby hiding it from illiterate peasants. A modern analogy might be high interest student loans or predatory pre-payday loans. The hidden interest rate appears to have been about 25% for money and 50% for goods. A manipulative steward could add his own cut of the profits on top of that and the additional payment for Rome. If this is the case, the manager simply may have been forgiving his own cut of the interest. Now the Torah forbids charging interest. If these men were Jews, he may have been forgiving all the hidden and forbidden interest in the contracts. Then the rich man, recognizing that he needed at least to appear to be observing covenantal laws, commended the manager. Verses 8 and 9, and his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Jesus seems to be saying that people like the manager are smarter than most of you. He says, I wish you were all smart in the same way, but for the right reasons and for the right things. Jesus said believers 
excuse me, unbelievers deal shrewdly with each other and win friends by this means, whereas believers often fail to use their financial resources to win people to faith and thus becoming friends forever. Good behavior is not enough. He encouraged his followers to use their money shrewdly, prudently, wisely, in order to advance God's kingdom. A second possibility for interpreting Jesus' message is that he may have been praising decisive action. When the manager discovered that his livelihood was threatened, he proved to be resourceful. He did not sit around wringing his hands. He took strong action in a crisis situation. Jesus says we too should take decisive action, especially about our spiritual lives. Are you just drifting along, coming to church and going back home, thinking maybe you should write a check for a charity whose work you admire? thinking maybe you should ask your aging father if he's made things right with God, thinking maybe you should start coming to a Bible study, thinking maybe you should invite your neighbor to church. Jesus is saying it is time to take action. Verses 10 and 11. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? A disciple should be faithful in the everyday tasks of life, however small and insignificant they may seem. Life is a series of seemingly small opportunities. Most of us will not dine with the Queen of England, write a novel, end a war, or be martyred for our faith. But we will have the opportunity to write a note, to give a bottle of water, to visit a nursing home, vote in a local election, tell a child a story, walk the neighbor's dog, or mow a lawn. Find ways to be faithful in very little, and God will provide ways for you to be faithful in much. When you build good relationships with other people, you will have a good relationship with God. Verse 12, no slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If all we care about is getting wealthier, our relationships grow less important. We will give up time with family and friends to focus on the almighty dollar. We will use the excuse that we do not have time to hang out with our kids or grandkids because we're focused on providing a better life for them. If all we care about is getting wealthier, our health will suffer. We will be more stressed, we won't have time to eat properly or exercise. We'll play less and sleep less. We will not have time to take a walk or grow a garden. If all we care about is getting wealthier, our spiritual life will suffer. 
We will not have time for church or activities with fellow Christians. We will not find time for devotions, prayers, or reading the Bible daily. And we will tell ourselves that God will understand. This stuff is hard because we have to work to pay the rent, buy shoes and clothes for the family, pay for groceries, and set something aside for old age. But Jesus says we cannot love God and money. So we have to strive for the proper balance for the sake of our relationships, our health, our spiritual lives, and for God. There are two worlds. This life and its riches are temporary. They will pass away. The kingdom of God is eternal and will come, and you must be committed to one or the other. True riches are the good relationships with others as children of God. A good relationship with God is lived out in generosity to the poor. If God can trust you in this world, he will trust you with the next world. But you must choose who to serve. Choose wisely. Amen. All right. If I could work a little faster, we could get into the next one and finish September. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs>